Hey guys, it is Ryan. I'm not sure if you know this about me, but I'm a bit of a fun fanatic when I can. I like to work, but I like fun too. It's a thing. And now the truth is out there. I can tell you about my favorite place to have fun. Chumba Casino. They have hundreds of social casino style games to choose from with new games released each week. You can play for free anytime, anywhere and each day brings a new chance to collect daily bonuses. So join me in the fun. Sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. Talk Recorded live. Hello, this is Michael again. Michael Adams from Nothing But The Truth. And it's still March the 7th, 2015. This is Part 5 of Analyzing Schofield. Hopefully we can get done with it today. Here we are with this, this particular part. And have enough time to read a few other interesting things. So. <clears throat> and we'll go back to where I left off and go from there. And... Uh, We're talking about who the true Israel is, and they left off at this uh, a note from Schofield's reference Bible. It says, "But Schofield knows better." On page nine twenty-two, SRB quote: "Israel is to be restored and forgiven." Wife of Judah, or Jehovah, excuse me, the church, the virgin wife of the Lamb. Israel is Jehovah's earthly wife, and the church of the Lamb's heavenly bride. And then it says, some kindred, uh, some kind-hearted people object. Uh, quote: True, they don't accept Jesus, but they have the Father. Not so, according to Jesus' own words in John fifteen twenty three, he that hateth me hateth my Father also. We dare not go along with teachers that say that Israel loves God when the apostles say they have not the Spirit of God, neither do they love God. And uh, what's this? Philippians three two. Paul warns to beware of Israel after the flesh, that they are the enemies of Jesus. Quote: Their minds are blinded because of false teaching, and veiled upon, and the veil upon their heart shall be taken away when they turn to the Lord. 2 Corinthians 3, verse 14 and 16. What about the verses that says, the verse that says, they shall look upon him whom they have pierced. Then they get saved. That is another false doctrine. Matthew tells us what will happen to the ones who have not believed on the Lord up to the moment of his coming. In Matthew 8:12, the children of the kingdom 
shall be cast out into outer darkness, and there shall be weeping and gnashing of teeth. A note from Schofield on Romans 11, page 1204, SRB, quote, that the Christian church now inherits the distinctive Jewish promises is not taught in scripture. The Christian is of the heavenly seed of Abraham and partakes of the spiritual blessings of Abrahamic covenant. But Israel is a nation always has its own place and is yet to have its greatest exaltation as the earthly people of God. And quote, of course, this is from Schofield. Uh, what a distortion of the plain scriptures that have just been cited. That is wishful thinking. God has no earthly people. John 14, 6, 1 Corinthians 1, 29, and 15, 45 through 50. Flesh and blood cannot inherit the kingdom of God. Seeing it is a righteous thing with God to recompense tribulation to them that trouble you and to you who are troubled. Rest with us when the Lord Jesus shall be revealed from heaven with his mighty angels and flaming fire, taking vengeance on them that know not God and obey not the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ, who shall be punished with everlasting destruction from the presence of the Lord and the glory of his power. When, and then it says in brackets, Luke 13, verses 25 through 28, he shall come to be glorified in his saints and to be admired in all them that believe. End of quote. Second Thessalonians 1, 6 through 10. These are the ones who love him and have been waiting for him. The true church enters into rest on the day the Lord destroys the wicked. When they receive the sentence of eternal death, and of course it's the wicked receiving the sentence of eternal death, he makes it plain that he comes poor comes pouring out judgment. The great judgment is the day of their destruction. See 1 Thessalonians 4, 13 through 17. But the day of the Lord will come as a thief in the night, and the which the heavens shall pass away with a great noise, and the elements shall melt with fervent heat. The earth also and the works thereof shall be burned up. Second Peter 3.10 It was to the church of Jesus Christ that the gospel was preached by the Holy Ghost sent down from heaven. By the way, the true vicar of Christ, the Holy Ghost, not some man over there in the Vatican City, the Holy Ghost. 
quote, surely the Lord will do nothing that he does not reveal his secret unto his servants, the prophets, Amos 3, 7. Paul says that Acts 26, 22, I continue to this day witnessing to both small and great, saying none other, th- none other things than that spoken by Moses and the prophets. Everything about the church is from the Old Testament, and this is the burden of Paul's teaching, Isaiah 53, is about the head of the church dying for his people. The Father has put Gentiles together with the commonwealth of Israel and made one new man in Christ Jesus. He did not make a Gentile church. Salvation is of the Jews. Quote, fear not, little flock. It is the Father's good pleasure to give you the kingdom. He took the kingdom away from apostate Israel and so built the church. Paul, quoting Joel, tells the glory of the church in Acts 2, indicating that Christ is risen from the dead and is seated in the right hand of God, fulfilling the Davidic covenant, which is detailed in Psalms 10.1. He is seated to reign through the age of grace when good and evil struggle together. This age is the end of that struggle. It is described in Matthew 13.37 uh, through 43. There will be no more struggle between good and evil after the end of this age. Paul taught the same thing in first uh, is this uh, Corinthians or is this Colossians? That's Corinthians, of course it is. Fifteen twenty-four through twenty-six refers to Psalms one hundred and ten one. Peter preached the same on on Pentecost as fulfilled by the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. Paul preached on it in reference to the close of the age and that Christ will remain on the throne until every enemy is conquered and the last enemy is death. Only then will he leave his glorious heavenly throne to come down to gather the saints still alive and bringing those who had died in Christ with him to receive a resurrection or a resurrected or resurrection body. Peter quoting Joel two twenty eight through thirty two about the outpouring of the Spirit stops in mid verse because the rest of it is obvious. For whosoever call shall call on the name of the Lord shall be delivered. Verse thirty two. Paul quotes uh, in Romans 10:13, if you had been in Jerusalem on the day of Pentecost, there would have been only one place you would have found salvation, and the 120 and their preaching of the kingdom of God, which is a spiritual reality that no man can see or enter except he be born again. Except he is a new creature in Christ, nothing else matters. 
Joe predicts a marvelous seed and that initial voice of the gospel in the crowning of Jesus. Some say it will be fulfilled in the millennium, but Jesus said that at the end of this age he would send his angels and gather out all the offended, and they shall be cast into the fire. No more of the wicked and righteous mingling together to the torment and oppression of God's people. It is the end of this age. Then shall the righteous shine forth as the sun in the kingdom of their father. Angels in flaming fire take vengeance on them that obey not the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ, who shall be punished with everlasting destruction from the presence of the Lord and the glory of his power when he shall come to be glorified in his saints and to be admired in all them that believe. And I imagine it's going to be the most overwhelming experience that anyone will ever experience. And um, what a ride it's going to be. We enter into rest the day the Lord destroys the wicked when they receive the sentence of eternal death and flaming fire is poured out on them that obey not the gospel. Some say that we will be raptured away, thanks to folks like Schofield and Darby. I just added that, sorry. But like a thief in the night, he comes to destroy the wicked. Second Thessalonians 1, 7 uh, uh, through 10 and Second Peter 3, 10. <clears throat> the Greeks say they shall in no wise escape. He will in no wise miss the redeemed, and he will not miss the wicked. All those will be destroyed. We have the wicked consumed with the brightness of his coming, exactly as is described. There are no wicked left to go into the millennium. Matthew thirteen forty to 42, 49, 50. When he comes, it is to save his own. If the Jews turn to the Lord, they can be saved also. There is none other name under heaven whereby we must be saved, Acts 4.12. This is the only way to be saved or to shed the spirit of Antichrist. It must be done now while the door is open. They can say, Blessed be he who comes in the name of the Lord. Christians do the Jews a great wrong when they suggest that they will have a second chance or that being fleshly children of Abraham can bring salvation. The Jewish people suffered the worst destruction ever brought upon any people in A.D. 70 because they refused to believe the scriptures that plainly prophesied of the coming of the Messiah. They knew when he was to come because of Daniel 9. But since he did not meet their 
preconceived ideas of what they expected Messiah to be, they crucified him and suffered the loss of everything. All those who refused to believe God's more sure word of prophecy concerning Christ's second coming are headed for everlasting destruction from the presence of the Lord when he shall come to be glorified in his saints. Paul explains the reason for their blindness in 2 Corinthians 3, 13-16. And not as Moses, which put a veil over his face, that the children of Israel could not steadfastly look to the end of that which is abolished. But their minds were blinded. For until this day remaineth the same veil untaken away in the reading of the Old Testament, which veil is done away in Christ unto this day when Moses is read. The veil is upon their heart. Nevertheless, when it shall turn to the Lord, the veil shall be taken away. Only the Holy Spirit can remove that veil. I love the Jewish people and pray that God may grant them this great mercy that they may behold Jesus, their Messiah, in time to be saved from eternal life. And I also would like to add that, sure, I love the Jewish people, and I love the Muslim people, and I like the Roman Catholic people, and I love the Hindu people, and I like all the different people, all the different religions and different belief systems. And guess what? I want them all to come and behold and know Jesus Christ, their Messiah. So this whole thing about making the Jews so special this day and age has a lot of hypocrisy behind it when there are so many other people that we should be caring about too as well. Not above or beneath other groups, but we should care about them all. Just my own personal comment. Origin of Schofield's Heresy by Emma Moore Weston. Quote, the greater mischief can be happened to a Christian people, excuse me, no greater mischief can be can happen to a Christian people than to have God's work taken from them and, or falsified so that they no longer have it pure and clear. God grant that we and our descendants be not witnesses of such a calamity. Martin Luther, table talk. Obviously, he knew what was going on. Did he have it all right? What man does? But, he's willing to give the word of God to the common man. And that's more than can be said about the Roman Catholic hierarchy. Or a lot of other religions, for that matter. Huh? But in particular, the Antichrist system, the biblical historical Antichrist system, the false prophet, the second beast of Revelation 13, the papal Roman Empire and how they used 
The Latin language is a way to disguise and keep the word of God from others, along with their religion and a rule of iron. Okay, to date, this is the information that has come down to us. The first recorded history of a heretic writing and preaching of the idea of a 1,000-year reign of Christ on earth was Serenthus, Serenthus, so that's, or Serenthus, Serenthus. that's anyways, it's C-E-R-I-N-T-H-U-S. He was contemporary in time and place with the Apostle John and was his enemy. Historian Eusebius wrote about him in his book, Ecclesiastical History, A.D. 324. The Protestants were calling the papacy the Antichrist in the 16th century because of the millions of Protestant Christians being martyred, hoping to take the heat off the Catholics. The Jesuit priest formulated doctrines calculated to counter the Reformation. In 1585, Francisco Ribera published a prophetic commentary in which he put the first chapters of the Revelation in the first century and the rest of it in the far distant future. He taught that the temple would be rebuilt in Jerusalem by an antichrist who would abolish Christianity, deny Christ, and pretend to be God and conquer the world. Ribera put a rubber band on Daniel's 70th week and stretched it into the, the end time. This was the beginning of the futurist theory that is being taught today. There is no scripture that warrants spreading or separating the 69th to the 70th week of, of Daniel. He took scriptures that have already been fulfilled and put them far off into the future. What can a spirit possess that man? I'll let you answer that one. S.R. Maitland, librarian to the Archbishop of Canterbury, about 1826, discovered Ribera's work and published it for general interest. Another Jesuit, uh, Luis de Alcazar, put the fulfillment of prophecies of revelations, of revelations, excuse me, in the past with his scheme now taught by uh, Preterus. Another Jesuit, Emmanuel Lachinza, added his ideas in the book written in Spanish, but translated into English by Edward Irving and published in 1927. He suggested that the second coming of Jesus would be in two stages. Margaret MacDonald in Scotland also had a vision of the second coming being in two stages. Jesus would come first to catch some Christians and a secret rapture previous to the one second coming 
that the church had that had believed in for centuries and would return later with them. Copies of our vision were circulated in the area. John and Darby of Plymouth Brethren and Ir- Edward Irving put all these ideas together and began to teach them as truth in the 1830s. An awful lot of things were happening in the 1830s, and not only in England, but more in particular in the United States of America. Wow. All crazy things are coming out of this country back then, and now it has infiltrated and polluted the world of Christianity. The final form of the teaching ended up with a secret rapture. Then a three and a half year or seven year period of terrible tribulation under an antichrist before Jesus would return with all his saints at his uh, revelation to set up a 1,000 year reign in Jerusalem. The temple would be rebuilt, animal sacrifice reinstituted, and Christ would reign. Oh my gosh, that's the most insane and most blasphemous thing right there. The temple would be rebuilt, and the animal sacrifice would be reinstituted, and Christ would reign with the Jews for a millennium? That like tell, all this negates everything that Jesus Christ did for us. Nuts. Anyways, however, the Greek words for rapture and revelation refer to the same event and are used interchangeably. I would really like to have a sit-down with some of these guys sometime, one-on-one, in the near future. Of course, it never happened, but I'd love to. And just talk to them, mano-to-mano, about what the heck they were thinking. What was their motive? Was it to serve Rome, the Jesuits? Was it money? Were they so deceived and so blinded that they actually believed this blatant lie? Of course, the private had to be uh, had to be talked between a glass barrier or something, because I imagine by the time I was done talking to them, they probably want to punch me in the face, but I still would like that to happen someday. Not being punched in the face, but actually talking to them. Anyways, in 1994, Reverend John Bray, B-R-A-Y, obtained a copy of another book published in Pennsylvania in 1788 that teaches the same heresies. It influenced, if any, on the Brethren group is unknown. His address is P.O. Box 90129 Lakeland, Florida 33804. In the last half of the century, Darby made several trips to the United States and taught his new prophetic schemes in Bible conferences. It was 
accepted by many in the United States, among them Reverend James Brooks, who was sponsoring a new convert, a young man named Cyrus I. Schofield. Later on, all these ideas were incorporated in Schofield's notes and published in Schofield's Reference Bible in 1909. Millions of sincere Christians have accepted these ingenious theories as truth, knowing neither where they originated nor for what purpose they were intended. It has crippled the church and the resolute date setting has been disastrous. People need to know that the main differences in teaching on the second coming do not come from the Bible itself. Far from these fabrications deliberately introduced to courts or to counter the Reformation and cause trouble, and have they ever, excuse me, and have they ever added to this deception? The story of Schofield's life has been kept covered up because it would discredit, if not destroy, his teaching. Dispensationalists called Jesus coming as a thief in the night when they when he comes for his saints, the rapture, the second stage when he returns with them, the revelation. However, Greek words for rapture and revelation refer to the same event and are used interchangeably. The scripture teaches that then shall the wicked one be revealed, whom the Lord shall consume with the spirit of his mouth and shall destroy with the brightness of his parousia, P-A-R-O-U-S-I-A, which, okay, so it's parousia. If the brightness of his coming is to destroy the wicked, it, it can hardly be a secret known only to the saints. Very good. How can the Antichrist be, begin to flourish at the parousia if he dies then? Okay. How can the Antichrist begin to flourish at the parousia if he dies then? <clears throat> Very well stated. The reformers, Luther, Calvin, Knox, and the leaders of the Great Awakening, such as Wesley, Whitefield, Finney, did not believe any of this teaching. However, the important issue is, what did Jesus say about it? Absolutely nothing. He said, my kingdom is not of this world. The only way to get into his kingdom is to be born into it. It is a spiritual kingdom entered only by a spiritual new birth. And of course, that's John 3 5 and 3 18 36. What does the Apostle Paul say about it? Absolutely nothing. What does the Epistle writers say about it? Nothing. What does 
the Apostles' Creed say about it? Nothing. This centuries-old statement of faith of the Church declares, I believe in God, the Father Almighty, maker of heaven and earth, and Jesus Christ, his only Son, our Lord, who was received by the Holy Ghost, born of the Virgin Mary, suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, dead, and buried. Uh, the third day he rose again from the dead. He ascended into heaven and sitteth on the right hand of God, the Father Almighty. From thence he shall come to judge the quick and the dead. Some teachers would have it read, from thence he shall come to set up an earthly kingdom for a thousand years. After that, he shall come to judge the quick and the dead. The earthly kingdom doctrine was taught by the Pharisees. The Messiah could come, conquer their enemies, and set up a literal kingdom. This is what the disciples had in mind when they asked Jesus, Wilt thou at this time restore the kingdom to Israel? They did not understand why Jesus did not set about doing it. They had no conception of a dying Messiah, a resurrection, and another coming. They still did not understand his first coming. Their eyes were blinded by previous teaching. However, after the Pentecost, they never mentioned Again, this doctrine of the Pharisees that Jesus had warned them about. The whole contrived millennial theory of a reign of Christ on earth depends on a literal and incorrect interpretation of one portion of the scripture, Revelation 21, verse, uh, 20, uh, verses 1 through 7. The word millennium, millennium, Uh, the word millennium is not the Bible. Not in the Bible, excuse me. <laughs> All right. This symbolically, symbolical scripture, Revelation 21-7, cannot all be taken literally. You can't not bind a spiritual being with a literal chain. Even if it's did mean a literal thousand years, Jesus said, in the mouth of two or three witnesses, every word may be established. This scripture is only is the only witness. It is dangerous to build a whole doctrine on one portion of scripture, especially if it is not backed up by the gospel writers. Psalms 50.10, it says, every beast of the forest is mine, and the cattle on a thousand hills. Does that mean only a thousand? Of course, it's a rhetorical question. God keeps covenant and mercy to a thousand generations. Deuteronomy 7, 9. Does his mercy stop there? Rhetorical question. Also, see Psalms 105, 8. The thousand is not literal in any of these. 
Many scholars believe that it is a symbolic number representing indefinite period between Jesus' first and second coming. Jesus Did Jesus ever offer himself as a king or suggest in the faintest way that he was going to set up a literal kingdom? He said to Pilate, My kingdom is not of this world. When Jesus perceived that they would come to take him by force and make him king, he departed. His offer of the kingdom is the same he made to Nicodemus at the start of his ministry. You must be born again. This is the kingdom that he preached and that Paul preached. And uh, okay, let's go, that he preached. And, let's go back. This is the kingdom that he preached, Matthew 4, 20, 9, 35, 24, 14, and Luke 12, 32. And that Paul preached in Acts, excuse me, 28, 31 and Colossians 1.13, some say that the Jews refused this to Jesus had to postpone his uh, his kingdom. Okay, some say that the Jews refused this, so Jesus had to postpone his kingdom. They tried to fit Old Testament scripture about the kingdom into a 1,000 year reign. But Jesus' kingdom in the New Testament is everlasting. Ouch. Ouch. Ouch, 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 ouch. If what he's saying here is true, it changes uh, the game quite a bit, doesn't it, folks? The Apostle Paul does not agree with this modern teaching. In First Thessalonians four thirteen through seventeen, even so, them which sleep in Jesus will God bring with him. The dead in Christ shall rise first. Then we which are alive remain shall be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in heaven. The rapture and the revelation happen at the same time, same coming, excuse me. Compare First uh, Corinthians 15:23-24. Uh, Christ is first fruits. After that, those who are Christ at his coming, then cometh the end. When he delivereth up the kingdom of God, even the Father, when he shall have put down all rule, all authority, and all power, for he must reign until he hath put all enemies under his foot. From where does he reign? Now this man, after he had offered one sacrifice of sin forever, sat down in the right hand of God from henceforth expecting till his enemies be made his footstool. Hebrew 10, 12, and 13, Psalms 1, 10, 1. There is no time for a seven-year tribulation or 1,000-year reign after Jesus rises the dead. There is not 
this is not what the scripture says. Many people love the millennial, millennium, well, I'm not saying this, the millennium, I'm not saying it right, millennium theory, and are not expressed when shown that there is no scripture to support it. Instead, they accept the teachings of Schofield and others who contradict the Lord Jesus himself. Thousands of devout believers have become brainwashed by the constant repetition of this teaching by evangelists, pastors, and scores of books, uh, prophecy, and now base their hope on a man-made on man-made theories. A new look at what the scriptures actually says should settle the minds of those who are confused. He is coming again. And if I go away, I will come again. John 14, 5. It will be as unexpected as a thief in the night. 1 Thessalonians uh, 5, 2. That makes you wonder about uh, my guest uh, Nicholas Arthur and his theory. We still got to reconcile with that. Because he says he will come as a thief in the night. And of course, Nicholas says that he doesn't. He just said no one knows the day, or the hour, but he never said the year. And I know he did how that worked, calculating it, and it's still up to open up in the air for me. But it does say here you will be as unexpected as a thief in the night. Yes. You know, and specifically, we can ask, we can ask, we could just read it, right? <clears throat> to make sure that I'm actually saying what actually is said. Okay. First Thessalonians. For yourself know perfectly that the day of the Lord so cometh as a thief in the night. For when they shall say peace and safety, then sudden destruction come upon them, as travail upon a woman with children, and they shall not escape. But ye, brethren, are not in darkness, that 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 they should overtake you as a thief. Okay. Uh, then it says, uh, it will be no secret, Matthew 26, 24, 26, and look at that. Now, most of Matthew, I believe, 24, 20, uh, Matthew 24, is, has nothing to do with the, the, the end times. It 
And uh, this, ch- this, you know, enough. You want to say it's the end times? That's what you. But I, I look at this. Behold, I told you before. Wherefore, if they say, shall say unto you, Behold, he is in the desert. Go not forth. Behold, he is in the secret chamber. Believe it not. The line hath come to e- out of the east and shineth out to the west, and, and also cometh the Son of Man. For wheresoever carcass is, there also the eagles be gathered together. Immediately after the tribulation of those days, the sun be darkened, and the moon shall not give her light, and the stars shall fall from heaven, and the powers of heaven shall be shaken. Then shall appear the, the, uh, the sign of the Son of Man in heaven. Then shall the great all the tribes of the earth mourn, and they shall see the Son of Man coming in a clouds of heaven with power and great glory. So, yeah, why not? Reading in this context up to that point, it's definitely one of those things where where's the transition line from what it's talking about 70 AD and then when it's carried on because there is two topics going on. There's two questions in Matthew 28, or excuse me, Matthew 24. And the questions are that uh, you see these things. Verily I say unto you, these things, yes, verily I say unto you, there shall not be left here one stone upon another that shall not be thrown down. And as he sat upon the Mount of Olives, disciples came unto him privately, saying, Tell us, when shall these things be? Actually, that's 70 AD. And what shall be the signs of thy coming and of the end of the world? So when we look at this, and I understand uh, like Nicholas Arthur, he says, you know, those are two questions. When we had this discussion about uh, Matthew 24, the two questions, there's two specific questions, two different time periods being addressed here. One is, this, once again, the destruction of Jerusalem, 78 AD, and the other one, the other part is about, literally, the end of the age, end of the world, and signs of thy coming, and of the end of the world. <clears throat> so anyways, should be one good thing to understand, or at least to see, at least I'm seeing, that if you end up hearing that Jesus is over there in Jerusalem, he's not. Over there in the desert, he's not. That's not Christ. Don't bind any of that nonsense. Okay, let's get back to this. Uh, where was I at now? Uh, it will not be as secret. It will it will be as impossible to hide as lightning. It will be very noisy. There will be a shout, a voice, a trump of God. Uh, first of uh, uh, Thessalonians 4, 16, uh, the souls will God bring with them, 
1 Thessalonians 4, 14. The dead in Christ shall rise first, 1 Thessalonians 4, 6. Then we which are alive and remain shall be caught up together to meet the Lord in the, earth, in the air. First uh, Thessalonians 4.17. You know, I always think about that. You know, do I really want to be one of those people alive when that happens, or would I rather be dead waiting for the resurrection? And now a lot of people say, I can't wait. I can't wait to, I hope I'm one of those to see to the very end. Uh, the very end sounds pretty ugly, and I don't know. Well, first of all, I look at my health and everything else, and I'm like, well, if God wants me to endure that and go with that for some reason, I guess I will, but and of course he'll make, help me a way to get through it, but it doesn't sound like uh, much fun. <laughs> so I always question, I think people who say, oh, I can't wait, I wish I'm one of those people, I'm like, I mean, I mean, are the resurrected dead not going to notice the exact same thing that what the people who are alive on earth are experiencing? Don't get me wrong, I'm not wishing to die. I just don't know if I want to be living when all that crap happens prior to our Lord coming. Doesn't sound too pretty. Anyways. When will this be? When are the dead raised? I will raise him up in the last days. Jesus repeated this in John 6, verse 40, 44, 54. The last day, the last trump, and the twinkling of an eye. The hour is coming in which all that are in the grave shall hear his voice and come forth. And they that have done good unto the resurrection of life, and they that have done evil unto the resurrection of damnation. Jesus said, said that the good and bad are raised at the same time. In his note, dang, he did say that. I tell you one thing. I'm gonna tell you something. I've been suckered by the Seventh Day Adventist stuff since the start of the show and prior to it for the past year. I mean, and there's so many things that the Seventh Day Adventists teach. I'm starting to realize it doesn't square up the Scripture. Here's another example. Because they say that the, the uh, evil effect. Let's go and just look at this. John five, twenty-eight and twenty-nine. Before I just not to say I ever wanted to be a Seventh-day Adventist, but let's face it, they're the ones who were very influential to many of us for teaching us who the biblical historical Antichrist is. But it makes you wonder at all why all that is. And they're the you know, walks with and all this whole series and stuff. And if you watch you learn an awful lot about how the world works. Hopefully. Marvel not at this, for the hour is coming in which, in into which all that are in the grave shall hear his voice, and shall come forth, and they that have done good unto resurrection of life, and they that have done evil unto the resurrection of damnation. 
Because uh, Sunday Adventists have this teaching that, you know, the, it's just the righteous, you know, God's chosen are the ones who are resurrected, and the dead are dead for a thousand years, and then there's another resurrection. But it's right here, this is the Word of God, and he's not saying that, is he? I tell you one thing, like I've said before over and over again, my whole life feels like it's been a total psychops. I've been deceived, 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 deceived. I guess part of it, I guess, is in the end of the day, my problem, my lack of faith, the veiled over my eyes. But the more I learn things, the more I realize there's an awful lot of things that just ain't right. In his note, SRB 1967, Matthew 25:32, F. Schofield states, this judgment of individual Gentiles to be distinguished from other judgments in Scripture, such as the judgment of the church and the judgment of Israel and the judgment of the wicked after the millennium. Connection with, once again, with the Seventh-day Adventists and these dudes. And we know that Seventh-day Adventists were influenced by the uh, Freemasons, and it's highly improbable that this man was not influenced by the Freemasons. And we know that the Freemasons at this point, we have enough information out there to realize that the Freemasons were controlled by the Jesuits, a military arm of the Rome, since the head Freemason seems to be the Black Pope. Oh yeah, by the way, Pope Francis seems to be a Freemason too. Goodness gracious. Maybe it is a good thing I'm just doing this all by myself. What do you think? Maybe I should uh, post my email on it and say, hey, folks, what do you think? <laughs> you know, it's probably best not to do too much of that either. There's a reason why I don't really interact too much it's not because I think I'm better than anybody or that I don't value other people's opinions, but I'm noticing in this show because I introduce other people's opinions, not because I'm better than anybody else, but because I'm searching for the truth and, you know, the way, the truth, and life, Christ's truth, I get suckered an awful lot. But it's pretty hard to argue John 5, 20, 29, when we, it's in the red lettering and we know that it's actually the Word of God. It's actually Jesus speaking. I'm not arguing with Jesus. I'd rather argue with the Sympathy Adventists and anybody who has any shared beliefs with them than Jesus Christ. I don't know how you feel about things, but that's how I feel about things. I think that's a safe bet. But Paul said, he hath appointed a day in which he shall judge the world, Acts 17, 31. And he shall, 
and we shall all stand before the judgment seat of Christ. Romans 14.10, it is appointed unto men once to die, and after this, the judgment. Hebrews 9.27, now I ask you, if all the dead and good and bad are raised for judgment in the last day, where do we find all these different judgments? A seven-year tribulation or a thousand-year reign of Christ after the judgment. There is no more days after the last day. Since to me, the last day is the last day. Only judgment awaits unbelievers after that. The day of Noah, the day Noah entered into the ark, the flood came and destroyed all who were outside. Luke seventeen twenty six. The same day Lot went out of Sodom into, excuse me, the same day that Lot went out of Sodom and it rained fire and brimstone destroyed them all. Even thus shall it be in the day when the Son of Man is revealed. Luke 17, 29, 30. Schofield notes, could cost those who believe in them their eternal souls. There is no time to get ready if you miss the rapture. There will be no second chance. Books are being written to tell those who miss the rapture what to do. <laughs> And of course, you got to write them books. And of course, who's sponsoring the writing of them books? And you know, a man needs to make a living. What the heck have we turned into? Listen, I'm not passing judgment on anybody. I'm passing judgment on all of us. That made any sense. What I'm saying is, is that, you know what? We're a bunch of screwballs. What the heck happened? Well, I know it's the Counter-Reformation. Mr. Chancewitz? But it's more than just that, because there's an awful lot of people who don't know anything about the Counter-Reformation, or who aren't Jesuits, who are pushing all this nonsense, who are not insiders, who are eagerly and willfully pushing this nonsense. What the heck am I supposed to think? What are you supposed to think? It all goes back to the same old thing, isn't it? Scripture, Scripture alone, and Christ and Christ alone. And yes, if we keep on pushing and pushing, that's what the show's been about. Even if we lose all contact with everybody, at least we have Christ. At least we have His Word, and we God will lead us to people who actually know more and understand more of His truth and His Word. And... I'm coming, it's coming clear to me this has nothing but joining a group. This is about joining Christ, his truth, his group. 
And I would be also grateful and so humble if I was just a guy. All I did for eternity was mow grass with my fingers all day. Anyways, God helps these writers and open their eyes. God helps these writers and open their eyes with truth. Quote, all that are in the grave shall hear his voice. John 5, 28, When he comes to the door, will be shut as Noah's ark was shut after Noah's family was inside and the flood came and destroyed the ungodly. Uh, the ones who are ready are taken, the others are left for certain destruction. Anyways, even like I said, you know, well, I don't know if I said this, but I'm going to say it. And I know I'm knocking on the Seventh-day Adventist, and I'm not saying that every single thing that they teach is wrong. And I'm not saying that it's not worthy to hear what their point of view is. I'm just saying you better have... Uh, big question marks with it, big old red flag with it, and you better challenge everything that they say. That's what I'm learning. And of course, I'm preaching to myself more than anybody. How many times have been burned? My gosh. Preachers describe a secret, silent coming of Jesus as a thief in the night when millions of people will disappear and huge headlines in the newspapers will tell of a fan, uh, a frantic families whose loved ones are gone without a trace. I wonder what God's going to think about these men. Don't you believe it? Jesus warned against believing any report that he had come secretly for his coming would be visible as lightning. Paul tells us in 1 Thessalonians 4:16 that the Lord will descend with a shout, the voice of an archangel and the trump of God. A very noisy time. <laughs> Peter did not believe in the secret rapture or a literal reign of Jesus on earth. He wrote in 2 Peter 3.10, But the day of the Lord will come as a thief in the night, unexpectedly, in brackets, in which the heavens will pass away with a great noise, and the elements will meant with a fervent heat, and the earth and the works therein shall be burned up. Who will be left then? to publish a newspaper or establish a kingdom. The day after, this will never come. For this is the end of life as we know it. At the end of the world as we know it. And I hope I'm one of those who feels fine. With this word of uh, Peter's the whole contrived doctrine goes up in smoke. And yes, I know it's REM, and I know it's a flaming bag and all that other stuff. Excuse me, I shouldn't have said that. I should sodomite. And obviously, he was serving someone's agenda, and along with the rest of the band. Hence the reason why they became multimillionaires. 
And by the way, when I was a young man, and of course I wasn't saved, I really liked them. I think I had all their albums back in the 80s. Saw them in tour or like or concert like three times. So before anybody, I think the average person even knew who they were. And that, looking back on that now, it's not much of anything to brag about, is it? So. <laughs> at one time, I used to think it was. Anyways, the teaching that a terrible tribulation period is coming after the secret catching away of the church keeps people in great fear. If this were true, that the Lord would come after a seven-year tribulation, the exact time of his coming would be known. Since the two coming ideas, or Cummings idea, came from the Scottish girl's vision and not from Scripture, you can throw that out the whole, throw that out. The whole argument is to whether Jesus' coming will be pre, mid, or post. This seven-year tribulation between the comings, it is sheer imagination. You're telling me that all this came from a freaking girl again? Listen, I got nothing against girls, women. But a girl? Have you ever been around? I, you know, I have a son. And, of course, I have family members that have kids and daughters. You ever been around them? Since when would you ever take anything from them seriously concerning such an important matter? Anyways, where are we at in all this? I think I'm going to take a break. And maybe for you folks who listen to this, I hope it's not too heavy for you. Uh, I understand if it is. Because it's heavy for me. Uh, you know, I've heard this stuff before, but it's not sinking in the way it is now because, you know, it's one thing when you hear it. It's another thing when you read it and you interact more with it and you're not so passive in it. Things hit you a different way, don't they? And to think this whole pre-trib, mid-trib, Nonsense that you heard on television and the radio and the internet all came from a girl in Scotland? A dream? Or imagination? I think we do need to take a break. I need to take a break. Because I'm telling you something. I never realized how 
absolutely whacked out Christianity is. Let me rephrase that. I don't know how some of the phrase it. I know people say, well, there's true Christianity and there's false Christianity. But you know what? As you go along this journey, if you're going along with me, you're realizing an awful lot of it's false Christianity. And how did we all get suckered into this? And we're at a point now that even the blame game, you know, even though bringing up Schofield and all, I think it's important to bring it up. In the end of the day, the blame's on us. Because how driven, how passionate are we to know God's truth? How passionate are we? Are we more passionate? And I've been guilty of this most of my life. In fact, I didn't even care. So when I say this, it's just not throwing it at everyone else. But it seems to me that we're more interested in the things of this world, videos, TV, entertainment, we really do need a savior. We really do need Jesus Christ. We really do need his word. And we really, it's, it's like, yes, it might make us extremely boring people to the rest of the world. The rest of the world will have to learn to live with that. And so far they haven't been able to. So we don't count on them. But yes, it becomes extremely boring to the rest of the world because how simplistic the gospel is and how unnecessary a guy like Schofield is in our lives or Darby or the Jesuits or the Roman Catholic Church or any of these other super churches and the R vipers, they are vultures preying on us, appearing as angels of light with their big grins and their big smiles and their their cut-ups and their laughs and their jokes and their moral philosophy. And yet, the amount of information we've learned in this fun show, I hope you recognize unpleasant it may sound this is stuff they should have been taught teaching us so we could get back to Christ's basics we hear it all the time but they don't teach us it they keep making us feel guilty about it but they don't teach us it it's a form of manipulation control on their end it's wicked beyond belief and to think that that any of us have wasted our time now knowing that it came from a Scottish girl vision along with some Jesuits about this pre-trib, mid-trib, post-trib, seven-year tribulation nonsense. We literally wasted our time and energy on this? 
Now, I'm not against children. I'm a father. I think it's important, you know, that we cherish our children. But cherishing your children is not the same thing of buying into a girl's vision and changing your whole, the word of God. With This is wacky. This is, I'm watching the windshield wipers go back and forth on them. Can't really see clear, but now I'm seeing clear. What the heck? We're a bunch of nutcases. Flat out. Freaking. I don't know what to say. So, anyways, guess three, guess five. Probably be back if you want to join me again to finish this up. I was hoping to get it done to this show. I really do want to get this series done today. I think it's an important series. Yeah, I have all these other things I want to talk about. I really think it's important to bring up Schofield, his connection to future dispensationalism. But now we got to deal with this Scottish girl. A Scottish girl. A girl. Let me rephrase that. A child? Because it doesn't matter if it's a girl. It could have been a boy. It doesn't really matter girl or boy. A kid. A child, a kid, influenced a whole century of quote-unquote Christians and got them to start reading the Bible and buying in some fairy tale. And did you comprehend what I'm comprehending? Can you see the absurdity that I'm seeing? Listen, I'm not any better than anybody else. I grew up in Mormon. One of these days, we're going to talk about that, too. Talk about a fairy tale there. But the thing is, a girl, a kid. A child. How long ago did Christian, quote-unquote, Christian, Bible-believing Christians confiscate their responsibility to read the Bible for themselves? How long does this go back? We should be ashamed of ourselves. That's what we should be. I'm included in all this. I guess the only difference is, is that I haven't, you know, spent 30, 40 years or 20 years or even 10 years or even five years being a Christian, claiming myself to be. And part of the reason why I am doing what I'm doing now and my response to all this stuff is because of that. And I am starting to have a little more empathy and sympathy for those who have 5, 10, 20, 30 years of, quote, unquote, being a Christian, because good grief... The amount of nonsense that's been put into your head, how cruel that is, and how much of a challenge it must be to get rid of it. It was a hard enough challenge getting rid of the junk that I got in my head. I can't imagine being in your position. It sounds awfully tragic. Anyways, I will be back and probably around five to try to finish this up. So, sorry about all the preaching. 
It's driving me. It's not driving me. It's uh, it's profound to me. To you, it might not be. You might have already heard this. You pay that's no big deal. It's a heck of a big deal. A heck of a big deal. Anyways, take care. God bless. With the Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details.